This uh, fellow is my friend, Clark Petticord. Uh, we haven't seen Clark and Ann and their family, their two daughters, Sean and Carissa, for about six years. And uh, they're back with us for almost a year. So we'll have an opportunity to renew our friendship and hear from Clark and Ann from time to time. As I think most of you know, Clark uh, has been pursuing a doctorate in theology and in a German university with a goal to uh, working with young theologians and, and pastors in uh, German churches and in, e- in Eastern Europe. Uh, has a real desire to train people in ministry and lay people in those churches in order to uh, carry out the mission that God has given to them there. So we are very pleased to have you with us this morning. And uh, we're waiting to hear what you have to share with us. Thanks, David. Get myself wired up here. You'll have to be uh, on your toes this morning. We're traveling with a group of six German friends, and sometimes I tend to lapse into German. And uh, if I do, you'll just have to raise your hand, and uh, I'll know what you mean. There's some special people I'd like to introduce you to this morning, though, and uh, recognize them. Some folk from Germany. Before I introduce them, though, I uh, this is she's not expecting this, but I would like to just say uh, it's a real pleasure to uh, say hello to my mother who's here. And uh, hi, mom. So. As I said, we're traveling with a group of six friends from Germany. Uh, I will introduce them to you, and one of our friends would like to uh, just give you a word of uh, uh, greeting from the brothers and sisters in Christ there in Germany. Uh, I'll introduce the, the folk to you, though. First of all, my close friend and uh, compadre, the founder and director of a Christian fellowship and outreach uh, in Germany, called Young Christians on the Offensive, or OJC. That's Horst Klaus Hofmann. Horst, uh, if you'd like to stand. And uh, Manfred Jan. Manfred is the administrator there of the fellowship, and uh, they've been traveling with us uh, these last weeks too. Thank you. And you may recall that we had an outreach to a group of Ukrainian nuclear scientists And uh, during that time, some friends from Peninsula Bible Church came over and shared with uh, these Ukrainian scientists. Unfortunately, the Ukrainians don't speak German or English, for the most part, and I don't speak Russian. And so we had to go three ways in a translation. I would translate from English to German, and then a friend would translate from German to Russian, and then from Russian back to German, back to English, back to Russian, back to German. It was a real interesting time. Uh, but the other half of that translation team is here with his wife. His name is Christoph Nitzel. I'd like to, Christoph, for you to stand. Uh, and <laughs> and last not least, uh, a married couple who are dear friends of ours, uh, Wolfgang and Elke Breithaupt. They are pastors of a church far in the north of Germany in what used to be the DDR or communist Germany. They have interesting stories to tell 
of their testimony for the Lord during that time and also of the changes uh, after the fall of the wall. But I'd like Wolfgang and Elke to stand. And Wolfgang uh, would like to... Wolfgang would like to bring you a word of greeting from our friends in East Germany. Germany now, I guess. So. Is this on now? Good. Wir freuen uns sehr, dass wir heute hier bei euch sein dürfen. We are really glad to be here with you today. Und ich denke, es ist wirklich ein besonderes Vorrecht aus Ostdeutschland, einer der ersten zu sein, die hier bei euch zu Gast sein dürfen und lernen dürfen. And I think it's a particular privilege for someone from former East Germany to be here, to be here as your guest and to be with you. Und wir haben schon gelernt. Vielen Dank. And we've also learned a lot already. Thank you. Aber das hört ja nie auf. But that never stops in our lives, does it? Ich möchte einen Eindruck euch weitergeben, den ich in diesen Tagen hatte. I'd like to share with you an impression that I've had in the last few days. Wir haben eine Gewohnheit, dass wir jeden Morgen eine sogenannte stille Zeit halten, also über ein, zwei Bibelverse nachdenken. Uh, we have a custom that every morning we have a, a quiet time, a time of quiet where we reflect about one or two biblical passages. Und vor einigen Tagen war ein Psalmwort in der Bibel für uns. And a couple of days ago there was a word from the Psalms. Psalm 18, 30. Psalm 18, verse 3. Mit meinem Gott kann ich über Mauern springen. Dieses Wort ist in zwei Richtungen wichtig. This, uh, word of the is in two ways. Es gibt innere und äußere Mauern. There are inner and outer walls. Und aus all diesen Mauern muss uns Gott herausholen oder uns die Kraft geben, sie zu überspringen. And God has to take those walls, take us out of the situation where we're surrounded by those walls, or he has to give us the power to leap over them. Dieses Wort war uns früher ein Wort der Hoffnung im Blick auf die äußeren Mauern. Uh, previously that was a word of hope that God had given us in East Germany in, in view of the outer walls that we were surrounded with. Und wir haben uns sehr gefreut, als diese große äußere Mauer weggetan wurde, und wir brauchten nicht mal springen. And uh, of course we rejoiced when that huge outer wall was removed and we didn't even have to leap over it. Aber es gibt auch viele innere Mauern. But there are many inner walls too. Ein Beispiel aus unserem Volk. Just an example from our own nation. Als die äußere Mauer gefallen war, eine große Freude. When the outer wall fell there was great rejoicing. Und nun kamen aber ganz schnell kleine innere Mauern. But very quickly, little inner walls began to grow. Zum Beispiel, oder ich gebrauche ein Bild, um es zu, verständlich zu machen. I'd like to use a picture to help, help you perhaps understand. Wenn Geschwister aus einer Notsituation auseinandergerissen worden sind und lange Jahre getrennt waren. Imagine some brothers who were divided from one another Uh, by a situation for many years. Und plötzlich konnten sie wieder zusammen sein. And suddenly they're able to be together again. Sie machen ein großes Fest und freuen sich. They have a big party and they rejoice. Sie kaufen ein Haus und ziehen zusammen. They buy a house and even uh, move in together. 
Und nach einigen Tagen und Wochen merken sie, der eine hat eine andere Lebensgewohnheit als der andere. And after a few weeks or months, they, they begin to realize uh, they have different lifestyles. Der eine hört gerne laute Musik und moderne. One likes loud modern music. Der andere gern leise und klassisch. Uh, quiet classical music. Der eine sieht gern TV bis in die Nacht hinein. One stays up at night watching TV until the wee hours. Früh aufstehen. The other one wants to get up very early. Der eine betet in der stillen Zeit so. One uh, prays in their quiet time like this. Und der andere betet so. The other one like this. And so on. And so on. <laughs> Und so weiter. Und wie schnell entstehen da Mauern? And how quickly walls can grow. Und innere Mauern sind manchmal fester und höher als die äußeren. And sometimes such inner walls are more uh, stable and higher than the outer ones. Und deshalb sagt Gott seinem Volk, und das sind wir. And there, thus God says to His people, and that includes us. Mit meinem Gott kann ich über Mauern springen. With my God I can sleep over walls. Ich muss mir die Mauer klar machen. I have to be aware of the wall first. Ich darf die Verheißung Gottes in Anspruch nehmen. And then I can claim the promise of God. Und dann muss ich springen. And then I have to jump. Das sind Übungen, die wir alle immer wieder tun müssen. Da müssen wir uns gegenseitig ermutigen. We have to encourage one another. Und es ist gut, dass ihr einen Freund geschickt, hat, geschickt habt, der dies Springen schon geübt hat. Clark hat vielen von uns dabei helfen können, dass die inneren Mauern übersprungen werden. I had trouble translating this in the first service too. In Ost und But, in West. Um, Clark uh, helped many of us learn to jump over these walls both in the West and in the East. Und deshalb haben wir nicht nur Clark zu danken, sondern auch euch. Thus we're not only thankful to him but also to you. Und ihr habt einen ganz wichtigen Dienst. Missionare zu ermutigen, damit andere den Mut haben zu springen. And this is an important ministry of yours to encourage missionaries so that they can encourage others to leap. Und dass innere und äußere Mauern dadurch fallen. And that as a result inner and outer walls fall. Habt ihr vielen Dank, dass ihr Clark geschickt habt. Thank you that you sent Clark to us. Und wir danken Clark und natürlich auch unserem Gott. And we thank Clark and also the Lord. Good. Uh, that was not a paid political announcement. <laughs> Wolfgang, in the first hour, gave David a uh, piece of the wall, which you might want to look at afterwards. It has a little... Uh, It, these are getting rare, by the way. <laughs> I'm afraid someday it's going to be like bits of the true cross, but uh, they're going to be <laughs> a forest full of trees. That, uh, But anyway, uh, this is real, and it is a piece of the original wall in Berlin. And uh, on top of it's one of the little East German cars uh, that they made in East Germany, made out of fiberglass. Uh, they weren't as... They couldn't advertise like Volvo does about your security when you're driving the car. But anyway, uh, you might want to look at it later. I'll uh, leave it up here with Bill.
It's good to be back with you. Uh, my heart is filled with joy as I sense your joy in the spirit and your love, and as I look out at the faces of many friends. In these coming weeks in the fellowship here, we'll be looking at the question of how to pass on the love of God to others, to share the message of Christ. I've had a lot of conversations with people about sharing one's faith, and I'd like to read to you a letter which is fictitious. It wasn't really written, but it sort of summarizes many conversations that I've had with folk about sharing their faith. As I said, this uh, my fictitious friend here, whom I've named Alan, uh, doesn't really exist, but he... In this letter, I've tried to express the questions and concerns that I've shared with many as we've talked and thought about these things. Dear Clark, this is just a quick note, since I have to be at a meeting at the church in about an hour, uh, the third meeting this week. It was good to talk to you on the phone yesterday. I haven't been able to get something you shared out of my mind, though. You talked about your friend who died in a bicycle accident this past summer. You said his life goal, the thing that guided his whole work for the Lord, was to see the lives of individual men and women changed. You said he often told of an old man who said, If I had my life to live over again, I'd live it for the changing of men. For until you've seen a man's life changed, you've really seen nothing at all. Now I have a problem here. There are two people whom I've really been praying for very specifically to come to know the Lord. I don't want them to join my church or anything. I just want them to have new life in Christ. I've done everything I can think of. I've invited them to meetings. I've given them Christian books. I've told them the four spiritual laws, but nothing seems to work. One of the guys is a man I work with, and the other is my neighbor. I just don't seem to be able to get through to them. I'd appreciate any advice you could give me. Must run now. Please give my regards to your family. Yours, Alan. Now, that's a fictitious letter, but expresses the real conversations and sentiments of folk that I've experienced. It represents the distilled essence of numerous conversations with people who have a real desire to share their faith with others, to give away their faith. That, by the way, is the title of a little book that I found very helpful by a man named Paul Little, How to Give Away Your Faith. I knew Paul Little before he died, and uh, he once told me that after a church service where he had been speaking, a fellow came up and said to him, Dr. Little, I was wondering how I could get a copy of your book about how to lose my faith. Uh, Paul was a little skeptical about the man's motives, Uh, but uh, he told him the title of the book was really How to Give Away Your Faith, not How to Lose Your Faith. So faith grows when you give it away. And as we share with others, uh, I think many of us face some of the questions that that letter expressed. There was a time in my life when I probably would have had a pretty pat answer to some of those questions. I might have encouraged Alan to attend a training conference in evangelism or read a new book or study a new method or maybe learn how to share the four spiritual laws or perhaps pray for his friends more. That is probably the best answer that I could have given. 
But I've become increasingly uncomfortable with some of these things, not in themselves, but when they are not part of a a bigger whole, a bigger concept. A friend of mine, when we first went to Europe, had the following experience. He went on the university, and uh, being a good campus crusader as he was, he wanted to share the four spiritual laws with a student. And he began, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And this British student said, just a minute, I have three questions. Who's God? What is love? And who am I? Well, my friend uh, learned over a period of time uh, what some of those questions really meant. Someone has said that oftentimes as Christians, if we're not careful, when we talk about sharing our faith, it's like sitting in a circle and talking with each other. And any time we want someone outside of our circle to listen to us, we begin to shout. That's not terribly attractive, is it? What we're struggling with here is that life always wants to express itself, doesn't it? You see a plant... uh, By the way, I had a success experience the last year or two. I actually grew a plant. Uh, I have sort of a black thumb, and uh, I tend to destroy plants just by my presence sometimes. I don't know what it is. Uh, But plants are beginning to like me. But to grow a plant is an expression of life. You see a small seedling or a tiny plant grow perhaps into something very large, and What you experience there and watch is that life wants to move, wants to express itself. And as we've been touched by the love of God in Christ, there's an inner desire of that life to pass it on. And so it's very natural for one who has experienced the love of God in Christ to want to pass on that life. What we're talking about is mission. Mission is not just the Levitts translating in Suriname or the Petticords over in Germany and Eastern Europe or other folk that represent the Lord for our body and our fellowship here. It's something that involves each one of us because it's basically passing on the life that we have in Christ to others. But often this connection doesn't seem to work just the way that we want it to. Sometimes the problem's with us. Uh, As you can imagine, we've been flying a lot lately. And uh, I thought often of the words of a German comedian who said, I haven't really got any problem with God, but I sure do with his ground crew. And sometimes... The problem with passing on the life of Christ in us to others is this ground crew problem. It's not that these people don't, that we want to reach out and touch, don't want the Lord. It's that they can't hear because of the message we're sending. And it isn't fitting with what we want to really say. I don't have any pat answers this morning. But I'd like to look together with you at how God brought his word to us. Because you see, if we can really understand how God reached out to us human beings in Jesus, 
It can give us a pattern and our model for passing on His love to others and to reaching out to them. How did God communicate His love to us in Jesus? I'd like us to look together at a passage in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Philippians 2, verse 6, beginning with verse 6. This is an interesting passage in the New Testament. The Roman historian Pliny wrote, he said, Christians, when he was talking about this strange group of people, the Christians, he said they would gather together, uh, in parenthesis, after work usually in the evenings, uh, when it was cool in a Mediterranean climate, they would gather together and they would sing a hymn to Christ as to a God. And what this passage probably is, as many New Testament scholars have concluded, is that it's a a chunk out of one of these early Christian hymns that Paul used and reworked to communicate what he wanted to say about Jesus. And he says here, he writes, Jesus, being in the, or Christ being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the descent in his recognition of the Son of God, the following verses explain how that God lifted him up as a result of his obedience and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I would like to focus on this first part of his descent, of his bending down to communicate to us. Because if we really understand how God reached out to us in Jesus, it can give us a pattern and a model for our reaching out to others with his love. The first point I'd like to have you notice is this. God's communication was personal. He sent Jesus. He sent him as a baby. He was vulnerable. He didn't come into an an antiseptic hospital to a delivery room. He came into a manger, a barn with animals, with smells. He was vulnerable, but he was a person. God's communication to us was not like he wrote a book and dropped it out in the desert somewhere. We do have a book, but it's a book that's centered around a person. Perhaps you've seen that little uh, sign that says, God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. Uh, he sent a person, Jesus. And it's that personal element of life to life that communicates the love of God and the life of God to us. Recently, I was reading a Snoopy cartoon in Germany, and uh, perhaps you've seen it. Snoopy is out in the desert on a camping trip. And he's laying on his back in his sleeping bag, and he says, Oh, my stomach hurts. Then he thinks, When I was younger, Mama always used to comfort me when my stomach hurt. And then the next little caption says, But I, I don't know how to talk to Mama. How can I tell her my stomach hurts? 
And the very last caption says, I need a fax machine. Now, God so loved the world, he didn't send a fax machine. He came in the person of Jesus to breathe the air we breathe and rub shoulders with us and be where we were. An early father of the church said uh, when he was asked what he would tell someone who asked him how to become a Christian, he'd say, come and live with me for a year. Now that isn't the answer that most of us would probably give. We'd probably say, well, let me see, uh, where's a four spiritual law booklet? Or uh, perhaps I have a tract somewhere. Or maybe you should listen to this cassette. All those things are good. If they're used and shared in the context of a shared life. Now, what does it mean to share our lives with someone? Uh, We've been traveling quite a bit and had, with our German friends, had the experience of changing money. And fortunately, we all have what's called hard currency, German marks. Too hard (laughs) for a person who lives on dollars. But anyway, the German mark is very strong. But when I've traveled in Russia, what people are interested in getting is hard currency. They'll sell you a, a little doll for a dollar. And their own money isn't worth very much. And in today's world, there's only one hard currency that people are willing to accept that really says, without a doubt, I love you. That isn't gifts of money or anything else. It's not a card. It's time. If we give time to someone, it is the most eloquent statement of love. And actually, it's probably one of the very few things that's accepted in our world today as the real message of I love you. That isn't always possible. But when we can, sharing our life with others means time. Think of Jesus' life. He took 30 years learning a language, a culture, the habits of a people. He could have parachuted down and just told his story and left. But he spent time being where we are and learning our world. Let's go on, though. It says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus no longer was deity when he came in the flesh. It means that he gave up the equality with God, the recognition of God as God that was his rightful due. Jesus was just as worthy to be praised as God as the Father. But he didn't grasp at that, but gave up the right to be recognized as God. It was only people with the eyes of faith that could really see who he was. It was an old man, Simeon, in the temple. Or a widow lady who had lived praising God for many years. Those were the ones that saw with the eyes of faith. But everyone else didn't recognize that. And so Jesus gave up his rights. And that is one of the key points of how God's love touched us, is that Jesus gave up his rights of recognition and success. He gave up the right to be understood. 
to have his opinion respected and approved. Missionaries through the centuries have experienced that. The experience of being in a culture of not knowing how to speak the language. Very early on when Anna and I were learning German, we had a lot of funny experiences. I won't tell you about all of them, but the one is when I was with a family that we really wanted to impress. And uh, we had them over for dinner, and I wanted to say that one time Ann fed a giraffe. And I said, one time Ann ate a giraffe. Uh, We've laughed about that many times, and there are good friends today in spite of everything. Um, Are we willing to give up some of our rights to touch the life of another person with the love of God? Some of our rights might be, for example, uh, the right to be in a smoke-free atmosphere. What if they smoke? That's hard for me. I'm allergic to tobacco smoke. And when I sit with a student in the student refectory or the cafeteria and they smoke, I just think, God, this person doesn't know what I'm giving up in order to try and touch their lives with your love. What about attitudes, things that aren't particularly pleasant for us? Are we willing to step in to a degree without losing our identity, step into their world? Jesus gave up his rights of equality with God and was willing to live at a handicap. A friend of mine once said uh, early on in my experience in uh, Germany, he said, you might as well recognize the fact that probably in a foreign language you'll never be able to function at more than about 75% of your capacity. But being there is sometimes much more important. Someone once said 90% of life is just showing up. And uh, I think that's true. Just being there when your child cries or your friend is in need or your co-worker who you want to touch with the love of God has a need that no one else recognized. 90% of life is showing up. And that's 90% of Christian witness, too, is being there as an incarnation of the love of God, of being God's love to that other person. As the song we heard this morning says, uh, they may be the, you may be the only Jesus they ever meet, the only Jesus they ever see or read. Jesus also found a way to identify, and that's the third point I'd like to share. It says, he took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus found a way to identify with people, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations. How do you identify with a person without somehow beginning to dream a dream for their life? I think one of the key things that God touched Anne and my hearts with early in our experience in Germany was we had asked him to help us dream a dream for our friends in Germany. Paul Ternier once said, you can't have psychological health unless you can accept three things. Your own body, uh, by the way, (laughs) this is a personal announcement, If any of you have an exercise bike or a Nordic track that they could loan me for about three months, contact me after the service. Uh, Forget everything else for a moment. That's just one point I want to say. You have to accept your own body uh, to have psychological health. I'm working on mine. Uh, 
The second point that Paul Tournier said about personal psychological health is to accept your own family. And the third point is to accept your nation or your people. And uh, that's something that God can do in a human life, is help us to meet ourselves and then accept our family and our people. And I'd like my friend Horst Klaus to come and share about his experience of how feeling the love of God and being touched by Christ helped him in this way too. First of all, when I greet you, I must tell you I'm a father of five children, three sons, and all three stayed in the last eight years for a short time here in your community. And when they came home, our Dr. Arne, Markus, and our third son, Frank, they all said, Daddy, if we would have in Germany such a community like the coal community, we would join church and would work there. So I had a longing for a long time to stay in the church of Clark and Engen. But uh, Clark asked for my first experience. Uh, with the Excuse me, just a minute. By the way, uh, since we're working so closely together with uh, the OJC, uh, we've put some brochures out in the back, if any of you are interested, describing exactly what the community is that uh, Horse Klaus is involved with. So anyway, I thought I'd mention that. Thank you. Also a not paid announcement. So. <laughs> but, but about uh, the beginning, I was brought up in a non-Christian family. My father was killed in the war. My only brother was killed in the war. And I was very uh, full desire to come as soon as possible outside in the frontier. And it happened as a volunteer with 16. But a quarter of a year later, I was a prisoner of war in a Russian camp. There I lost not only my health, I suffered tuberculosis on both sides, I lost my, my faith. It was a faith in Germany. It was not a face in God. And I lost my character because I did everything also cheating and treating to come out of the camp. So I lost my identity. And years later, when I met people who believed in Christ, I argued with them, how could it help me in my problems if someone is killed? 2,000 years ago. And today we know without the Holy Spirit you cannot bridge this gap. But this happens through the longing to start life again. I got a Bible. And in the time before Eastern, I went to my first Lord's Supper and received God's forgiveness for my past and for what my people have done to other nations, mainly the Jews. And just life started again for me. So I've enrolled at one time for a small and wrong target for the German army for the rest of my lifetime and got free through the victory of the Americans and the Russians over my country.
So I gave my life the second time and rolled it to Christ and to fight and battle for his lordship among the young generation. And this I am doing till today in Clark and then we are real help in this battle. Thank you. Thank you, Horst Klaus. Another good friend of mine once said to me, I cannot pray for my own people. I'm ashamed of being a German. As we talked together and shared, we began to realize that each nation, each person, and each individual has to come to the cross of Christ. We have to bring our guilt, our shame, our past there. But that isn't the end. There is a resurrection. And I would really ask you to pray with us for our friends in Germany and the Eastern European countries that they will have a new dream, a dream that is God's dream for their people and their nations. We've seen here in this text that God's model of mission, of touching another life or another nation for Christ, involves it being personal. And that implies time. It involves giving up our rights to things that are comfortable and familiar. And it involves identifying with the hopes and dreams of another's of another. Jesus did this when he was talking with the woman at the well. He said, please give me a, a drink of water. And he touched the utensil that this woman handed to him, even though she was a Samaritan, a member of a despised race that no self-respecting Jew would even touch the cup that had been in her hands and on her lips. And Jesus reached out and touched across that cultural barrier, that woman's life. And in a couple of weeks, we'll be studying that passage uh, as a congregation. Jesus knew her need better than she did. And he reached out to her life with his. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he describes his uh, missionary experience, his experience of sharing Christ with the world. And he says in verse 19, Though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And it says, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. He did not give up his principles or compromise the core of his faith in Christ and his life in Christ. But he went to the very borderline, and some of his enemies even accused him of going over the border and compromising. But Paul walked the border between his life and the life of those he wanted to touch, and that was the secret of his message in Christ. And that's the secret I would recommend, if there is one, of touching another life for Christ.
of being a personal message of God, of His love, of giving up our rights, not sacrificing our purpose and our character, but respecting that purpose, uh, respecting that person with whom we are alive and want to talk. And finally, of identifying, of dreaming a dream for that person of what they could be in Christ. And that is the secret because, as that song says, uh, and we'll be singing again, people need the Lord.